0: good morning everyone good morning. man it's good to see you guys my name Aaron I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're excited to be able to jump in and continue our series called Starting Point. If you've not been here um, over the last couple of weeks, you can go back and check out some of the previous messages. Um, You can can look on our website at bridgewater.org. You'll be able to find that and check it all out, or you can find our, our Vestal podcast on the Vestal Podbean. Okay, We'd love for you to be able to see what we've been talking about. And the reason for that is this series is designed to really kind of wrestle with one question. The question is this. Can there be some sort of an adult starting point for faith? Can there be some kind of like reset or, or start over or begin again when it comes to faith? Because I would guess that many of you had... Something similar to me, you grew up with some sort of faith that was handed to you. Maybe you grew up going to mass and you were handed a certain type of faith. Maybe you grew up going to church or, or going to synagogue or to any number of things. Or maybe your family didn't do that at all. You just went on Christmas and Easter to make grandma and grandpa happy and you did your thing. And now it's like, hmm life has certain rigors and things going on that you're wondering, what is this all about? Well, here's the thing. Each week we've been unpacking some of the questions that make faith and and specifically religion a little bit difficult, and we just wonder, can there be a starting point? Today we're going to look at another question, and it It really kind of revolves around something that I think is true of all of us. I know it's true about me. I would guess, from my life experience, it's true about you too. Let me just, quick raise of hands. How many of you have ever tried to bargain with God? Anybody? (laughs) You ever tried to bargain with God? I, I, I know you have. You, you've said something like, okay, God, please, if you just let me get home and not wreck the car. Now, I never said that one. My parents are in the room, so I never said that one, I promise. I might have said, okay, if you, uh, God, if you just let me get home and my parents are asleep, right, then I promise I'll go to church forever, you know? You ever done that? Here's what I know about you, because I know it's true about me. I know you've said, God, if you will keep the cops off the road tonight, I'll promise I'll always do whatever we promise. Or, God, if you will, I promise I'll never do it again. We've all said that, haven't we? We've all negotiated with God. And here's the thing. I know something else about you because it's true about me. Here's what I know about you. You don't keep your end of the bargain, <laughs> right? I mean, we've negotiated with God, and we've promised. we said, I, I'll do this, or I'll never, I'll never do this, and we don't even keep our end of the bargain because, frankly, we're just not that good. Now, here's the thing. You may be here today and you may say, well, yeah, I've done that, but I'm not really even sure if there's a God. And in fact, here, here's the thing, if, even if you're here today and you say, I'm not sure if there's a God, I'm not sure about church, I'm not sure about all of this, if you've negotiated with God, I'm going to tell you something, you have way more faith than you think you do, okay? And there's a couple of things that I assume or assumptions, I think, that, that you have and that I have when it comes to this, this idea of us bargaining or negotiating with God? A couple of assumptions. The first assumption is this, you believe that God knows you exist. You believe that God, wherever He is, or whoever He is, or if He is there, you you believe that He knows that you exist. You believe that He's listening, or pays attention, or that in some way, shape, or form, He thinks that you matter. Second, You actually believe that you have something that God wants. Hmm. When we bargain with God, we believe that we have something that God wants. Okay, God, if you get me out of this, if you, you keep the roads clear and I can get home, I promise I'll give you whatever you want. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll go to Sunday school. You know, as a kid, maybe we said that. Or, or I'll, ooh, I'll give you a, a little bit of money because that seems to be what you want, and that's what all the churches want, right? We assume that we have something that God wants. So the question is, does God negotiate with us? Well, the reality is that the scripture tells us God doesn't negotiate with us. And here's why. God doesn't negotiate with us because he doesn't want something from you. God isn't looking for something from you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God doesn't negotiate because he wants something for you. That's a huge, huge difference. God's not looking to get something from you as if he needs something from you, as if you could in some way make him better. God's not sitting up in heaven or wherever looking down and going, oh man, I wonder if they're going to give me what I need. It's not how it's going next week we're going to look at a passage of scripture it's acts chapter 17 and it describes an event with with a man who uh was was known in the scripture as saul or or paul and he had dedicated his life to the eradication of christians he had dedicated his life to to finding tracking down christians and christian leaders and throwing them in jail and he was even involved in in the murder of at least one christian and 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 Eventually, he came face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus, and that changed everything. And Paul started going around you know, the, the, the area and telling people about Jesus, and eventually he started traveling all around the Mediterranean Rim and telling people everywhere he could go about Jesus. And one of the places he stopped was a place called Athens. It's a little town. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. He stopped there and started discussing with them The truth about God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, he says this He says, He, the God in heaven, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Every single piece of this world has been made by Him. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, since he's over it all, he's over every piece of it, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He's not small enough for us to put in a box, in other words. And then he goes on in verse 25 and tells us more about who he is and what he does. He says this, and human hands can't serve his needs. Why? Because he has no what? No needs. God has no needs God doesn't negotiate with you because he doesn't need something from you and so often in our lives we try to negotiate with God God if you will please just pick up and take away my guilt or God if you would just take care of this and then I'll, I'll, I'll serve you and I'll follow you and I'm, I'm telling you God doesn't negotiate with us because we don't have anything he needs See, the reality is God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that idea, right there, that idea is the central idea of all Christianity. The central central idea of all Christianity is summed up in one little word. It's the word grace. It's the idea that God doesn't want something from you. He actually is offering something to you or for you. Now, when I was growing up, we attended a a church in the town that I grew up. And I remember learning some definitions for some words. We learned the definition for grace, we learned the definition for, for mercy, and, and the definition that I was given as a child has stuck with me ever since I was young. The, the simplest definition for grace that I can think of is this, it's unmerited favor. This is what I was taught. It's the it's a, You didn't do anything to deserve it, you can't earn it, you can't work for it, it's not merited, it's unmerited favor, God giving you something you don't. Deserve. Mercy is different. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve, and we, we, we know that. Last week we talked about our guilt and our shame and what can pick it up and carry it away. Mercy is God not giving you what deserve, you deserve. Grace is even better. God giving you something good that you don't deserve. Now that same man I was talking to about a minute ago, Paul, when he was confronted face to face with the resurrected Jesus, he understood grace, unmerited favor. Remember, Paul had been persecuting and trying to stamp out the church, and Jesus met him and said, what are you doing? Stop. And it changed the course of Paul's life. And later in his life, sitting in a Roman, or sitting in, 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 under house arrest in Rome, he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a, was a, a port city in Paul's day, written about 53 to 55 AD, okay? And, and, and it was right on the, the port and all kinds of commerce would take place. If you go to Ephesus today, it's not on the port because the water has shifted and the, the river has silted in in that area and so it's a ways uh, from where the water is. But Paul wrote to a group of Christians there to talk to them about a starting point for faith. And I want you to see what he says. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says this, once you were dead. Boy, that doesn't sound good. Once you were dead. Why? Because of your disobedience and your many sins. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we, we tend to think of our, ourselves as mistakers. We, we say, well, I, I, I made a mistake, you know, but remember, a mistake is something you can erase. It's something you can correct. And some of us make mistakes on purpose. And some of us have planned our mistakes. And some of us have done our mistakes over and over again. In reality, we're not mistakers. We're sinners. And our sin has a problem once we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. And then he describes the ins and outs of that statement. So rather than just leaving us there and making a pronouncement, he he takes us through and helps us understand what he's talking about. In verse 2, this is what he says. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. What? (laughs) What? Like if I took a poll of you this morning before you walked in and I said, hey, how many of you think you're poll- you, you obey the devil? I, I don't think many of us would, would raise our hands. So he explains what he's meaning. Look at what he says. The commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to to obey God. When I refuse to obey God, when I say, God, I don't care what you think. I want to I wanna have fun. I want to live however I want. I want to do whatever I want because it's my life. And who are you to tell me? What I am doing is I am obeying the devil. That's what I'm doing. He goes on in verse three and he says, all of us used to live that way. That's who we are. That's how we used to live. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires. We have desires. We have things we want and things we want to do. And all of us have lived that way and we followed the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, God's wrath, just like everyone else. Now what? If we stopped here... The narrative is, you're doomed, you're doomed, you're doomed, and you're doomed. And verse 4 is one of the great turning points in all of the scriptures. In fact, it's one of the great turning points, I think, for all of humanity, because in verse 4, Paul describes what happened, and it says this, But God... And you know what? If we took the narrative of our culture today, what would need to happen is if we had done all of these terrible things, or we had all of these terrible failures, or we didn't meet up to somebody's you know, standards or whatever, now, now we're going to talk about what you're going to do to fix it. Now we're going to talk about what you're going to do to clean it up because you've got to clean up what you mess up. But that's not what it says. It says, but God. What did God do? How did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, let's see. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and who loved us so much. This is the motivation. It's not, hey, you guys cleaned up your lives, and now you got God's attention, and so now he's going to you know, act on your behalf. No, no, no. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and because he loved you so much. Now, I, I love, in fact, I want to I show you, I, I love the, the New American Standard uh, translation of this verse. I want you to see it, okay? Um, I want you to see what it says. It said, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. So whatever's coming next, it is because of his great love with which he loved us. In fact, I want to ask you, would you do something with me? Would you say it with me? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Whatever comes next is because of this. Here's what it says. It says in verse 5, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he what? Gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead you and i we were dead separated from god we were we were we were unable to even respond and that's that's who i was we were separated from god and and god chose to unseparate you because he wanted to god said the relationship has been broken and god said because of My great love with which I love you, I'm going to do something. Now, here's the thing. Just in case we missed it, just in case we missed how we get unseparated, just in case we miss how the relationship is fixed, Paul puts kind of an exclamation point on the end of that, verse 5. Let me take you back there and show the end of it. Verse 5 says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is not you clean up what you mess up. It is God has done it for you. Plain and simple. And here's the thing. When we're talking about, a, talking about an adult starting point, when we're talking about is it possible, whether you're a teenager or a 20-something or a 40-something or a 60-something or beyond, can there be an adult starting point for faith for you? I would say the answer is yes, but here's what you need to know. With God, grace is the rule, not the exception. Okay? That's the thing. Grace is where it comes from. Grace is the rule. God says, it is by grace you are saved. Now, how do we get it? He continues on in verse. Verse 8 says this. God, okay, God saved you. Not you. He doesn't say you save you. He doesn't say you fix you. He doesn't say you correct you. He says God saved you by his what? Grace when you believed. When you believed. Over the course of the series we've been wrestling with what's the starting point? How do I, how do I have a right relationship with God? Is it, is it birth? Like, do I need to be just born into the right family and just be religious or whatever? Do I, is it behavior? Do I need to know the rules and keep the rules and go to church and, you know, say your prayers and do all of the things? Is that it or is it something else? And time and time again, as we look at the scriptures have been telling us it's not birth, it's not behavior, it's actually belief. It's belief that is the starting point for faith. Now, love again, I'll show you... <clears throat> This verse in the New American Standard, it says it, says it in, a, in a way that I think goes right along with what we've been talking about. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. See, grace is applied by trusting Jesus. Grace is applied not because you earn it. Grace is applied not because, not because you, 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 you did something for God or you showed up or you, 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 you followed all the rules. Grace is a gift. In fact, he says that here in a little bit. Now here's the question that I think that we are forced to wrestle with when we're thinking about God's grace and an adult starting point for faith. We're forced to ask ourselves, and I would urge you to take this question home and, and, and think about it for yourself. Here's the question. What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? What standard will you use to see yourself? What lens will you look through to see yourself and to determine where you are with God? Is it your behavior or is it God's grace? One of those is really, really subjective and gets really, really messy. But God's grace never changes. See, verse 8 continues on. and says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and here's the thing, you can't take credit for this. It is a what? Gift. It's a gift. You can't work for it, because no amount of work works. It is a gift. You can't earn it. It is God's gift to you. So let me ask the question a different way. What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? Is it what you do for you? Which, by the way, I'm not trying to be critical. This is very common in our culture. We tend to see ourselves as, as, you know, we need to be good people. And as long as we can be good people and our good deeds outweigh our bad, then we're fine with God. And God will eventually let us in. And we, we, we say, but no one's perfect. And we try to wash it out in the sea of humanity. And I say, well, I'm better than them. And I'm, you know, whatever. But again, all of that is the standard of what you do for you. And I'm telling you, the starting point is not what you do for you. The starting point is what God has, D-O-N-E, done for you. Now, Paul kind of wraps up this whole section about grace and what it does with some closing thoughts. Verse 9, he says this, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. In case you've missed it, in case you still think that that it's like a teeter-totter and as long as you do enough good things, you're up here, and if you do too many bad things, you're... Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. Then he says in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. He did it. He makes us new. It's not you who make you new. He has made us new in Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. And here's where it gets a little sticky again because we wrestle with, well, okay, I'm supposed to do all these good deeds. Listen, you've got to put them in the right order. You ever heard of the joke, you know, don't put the cart before the horse? You ever heard that? This is what happens when we begin to think that all of the to-dos in Scripture are the things that get us in good with God, but they're not. All of the to-dos in Scripture are actually a response to what God has to done. It's okay to laugh there. It's fine. I guess not. I don't know. All, all, of, the, all of the to-dos are a response to what God has to done. Every single time, God lays it out and says, this is what you're to do. It's because we've entered into a relationship with him by faith. And now, because of his grace, we praise him. I mean, what do you do when someone gives you grace? What's the response when someone is gracious to you? When someone who who really could just let you have it instead gives you something good? My response is thankfulness. I am thankful. Man, there are some people who could really let me have it. And I've received grace from them, but more importantly from God. And the response is thankfulness. Every single time, all the to-dos are a response to what God has done. In fact, I'd say it like this. 100% of the to-dos in the Christian faith are responses to what God has done for us. So when we receive grace, it begins to change us. It begins to change our desires and our affections. It begins to to wash over us. And grace-washed people should be different. Here's why. Grace is powerful. I mean, think about it. If I've received mercy, then I should deliver mercy. If I've received patience, then I should deliver patience. If I've received forgiveness, I'm telling you, grace makes us merciful. Grace makes us patient grace makes us forgiving and here's why grace is so powerful i'm telling you for people who have received god's grace we can literally be a part of making a difference in this world because if we've received god's grace grace washed people are going to leave marks everywhere You ever had a little kid who went outside with their boots on and came back in and did what? You know, we live in the Northeast and it rains every single day (laughs) in Gloom County. We have wooden floors throughout most of our home, and so our children think that means you just come in with your muddy boots. And then we can tell where our children have been, you know, right? Right? Grace is a lot like that. A person who has received grace is going to leave evidence of where they've been. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. It's going to be scattered all over. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you're, an examining, you're examining a starting point for faith, I want to tell you God's grace is for you. With God, Grace is the rule, not the exception. It's not a, you got to clean up what you mess up. It's not that. It's whoever comes to him by faith. And if you've received God's grace, we are called to be different. So I wonder, what standard are you going to interact with? with God what standard are you going to judge yourself and your relationship with God by is it what you do or is it what he's done and if you're standing in what he's done it's time to stop bargaining with God because God doesn't bargain with you it's time to start living out that grace let's pray Father God thank you for Jesus thank you for what he's done for us Thank you that we have the opportunity not only to trust you, but then to be changed. God, I pray that we would be a changed people in our community. I pray that we would be a changed people in our workplaces. I pray that we would be a changed people with people who are difficult, maybe even with a a spouse that we're struggling with or an ex or whatever it might be, but God, I pray that you'd help us to rest in your grace and to extend grace even when it's difficult. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.